Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here today. And you know, uh, most of us, uh, we know how to recognize important historic moments, don't we? I, um, I can look back at my journey of life and I remember, I remember as a little boy, a uh, younger boy, when, I, when President Reagan was shot. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a big moment. And my parents, and we gathered around the television. I remember, I remember in the ninth grade when we and my classmates were gathered together around a television set at school watching the space shuttle take off and it exploded just minutes after it took off. I'll never forget that moment. Thinking this right here is an historic moment. You know, I remember um, right after I met Robin, I just met her. I was actually on a trip in, to, to Eastern Europe with my, my family. And I remember turning on the television at our hotel and seeing that we, our country, was invading Iraq for the first time. I remember thinking, wow, this is a big moment. I, I, remember, um, I remember where I was the moment I was a youth pastor in, in Ada, Oklahoma. And I remember hearing that something had happened downtown Oklahoma City. There had been an explosion. And, and uh, I remember going to the television and then getting a call that we, Robin and I both had uncles that were in the building in Oklahoma City thinking, wow, this is a crazy moment in our country. You know, I remember 9-11. I was, I was minutes from making a staff presentation. It was a Tuesday, and I was, I was making a presentation in our staff meeting about leading our students to a, to a foreign mission trip, getting on an airplane and going outside the country, and then 9-11 happened that morning. I was thinking, man, this is a big moment. Most of the time, when we as a country, we, we as people, when we go through these his history-changing moments, we recognize it. But there are times that we don't. There are times that, that we go through a significant moment, and it's only after we go through it that we recognize that this, is, this, this was a life-changing, a, a history-defining moment. Now, when you think about Christ on the cross, that was a history-changing moment that, that most people missed, that a lot of people missed. Not everybody, but a lot of people missed it. The disciples in that moment were, were, were perplexed. They couldn't believe it. They thought their, their, their world was crashing around them. And, and here is Jesus going to the cross. And not only was that a history-changing moment, that moment was the focal point of human history. That, that, that few days, all of history points to that moment, even to this day. It has impacted everything, every part of our culture. That moment defined so many things. And this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna take some time and we're going to process what's going on in that moment. As Jesus heads to the cross, and over the last several weeks, just to remind you, we've been, we've been following these, ste these, these steps of Jesus to the cross. Chad led us through the arrest of Jesus. We, we looked at his trial last week as he went to, through, on this illegal trial. It was unfair, and it was, it was an um, unjust moment. And now we pick back up as Jesus is headed to be crucified. 
Now, when it comes to understanding the, the Gospels, and it's important to understand that, that, that each Gospel writer, they are describing their perspective. They're writing to specific audiences. And, and there are some differences in their accounts. And a lot of people that are critical of the Bible or critical of, of the Gospel, they will say, look, see, the Bible is inconsistent. It doesn't match. They don't get their story straight. But I want you to know that is a very, very weak criticism of, of, the, of the New Testament, of the Gospels. For example, if, um, how many of you filled out a March Madness bracket? Anybody do that in here today? It's okay. It's okay to admit that. Um, uh, and and if, um, if you are describing your March Madness bracket, let's say to somebody who has filled one out or someone who hasn't ever filled one out, you would, all, if five of us were doing that today, we would all give our specific description, right? It would be a little different. So it's not a problem really to recognize that these gospel writers are kind of coming at it from a different perspective. But it's important as you understand the whole picture of the cross and the, and the crucifixion that you glean from all the writers because they all have different perspectives. Now we're kind of focusing in, spending a majority of our time with John's account and I think John has a, a, an interesting perspective as he focuses kind of on Jesus. But, but, but honestly, before we dive into what John said, I want us to think about what Peter said. Peter went through this moment and it was a, it was a, a life-changing moment and he didn't recognize it at first. He knew things were changing. He knew this was significant, but he didn't grasp the true significance of the moment until later. And I, and I love what he wrote in his book of 1 Peter as he wrote to Christians that were scattered out all over the world and he was preparing them as they were under persecution. And Peter gives us some insight into the impact of the cross. So if you would, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and then also turn, put your finger in John 19 because we're going to go back to John 19 today. But, but together, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 22 through 25. So would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? And let's read this this morning. 1 Peter 2 starting in verse 22. And Peter writes about Jesus and he says this, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, um, it took a little time for Peter to discover what Jesus was actually doing on the cross. And, and as a reminder, Peter was going through the Last Supper. And remember that Jesus said to him, Peter, tonight before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. You, you, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Jesus said that to Peter. 
And Peter's like, what? No way. I'm not going to do that. And we know how the story unfolded. We've looked at it over the last several weeks, how, how Peter goes from the garden where he, these guards come to arrest Jesus. He pulls out his sword and he tries to, to defend Jesus and, and he cuts off Malchus's ear and then Jesus heals Malchus and this miracle happens and Peter gets away, not because he was incredibly fast or accurate with his sword, but because Jesus stopped the crowd, performed the miracle, and they were like, what is going on? Are you kidding me? Then just hours later, Peter is scared. He's terrified. He goes from this moment of defending Jesus to literally denying Jesus under the pressure of even a little girl. It's crazy. You see, Peter knew what it was like to fail miserably. He knew what it was like to make a huge mistake in his life, to, to, to betray Jesus. I mean, it was the worst, the lowest moment of his life. And then his dreams are crushed as, as he watches Jesus had to be crucified. But I want you to pay attention to verse 24 in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now, this is a, a, a humongous statement. That God himself, God was the one who bore our sins. God is the one that went to the cross. And, and, and I want us to turn our attention to the crucifixion scene back in John 19. So I flip over there. But, but before we do, I want you to see the first point today and follow along in your notes. I hope you will join us in your notes that you were given today. But I want you to see the first point today. It's so important. I want you to see that the burden of your sin, the burden of our sin is massive. It, it is massive. When you think about the sin that you and I are born into, the sin that we've committed, the, the, the lies that we have told, the, the rebelliousness that we have, the, the, our tendency to, to say, God, I want to be selfish. I want to go my own way. That burden is so incredibly massive that, that Peter said, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. You know, Paul described it like this. You can write this reference down, Philippians 2.8. He says, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That Christ so humbled himself, he came to earth and he obediently and willingly went to the cross for you. And for me, and see, Peter, in his mistakes, in his weakness, in his, in his failure, he recognized that, Jesus, you went to the cross for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21, an incredible verse that, that Paul goes on to write. He says, God made him who had no sin. Now think about this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. You see, this week, it is our prayer that we help our entire community understand and get a glimpse of, the, of, of Jesus as we go through the Passion Week experience. 
And I pray that you come, not only that you come, but that you invite somebody because this, starting this afternoon, we're gonna transform this entire auditorium and we are gonna set up the stations of the cross and we are reaching out to our community saying, we want you to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. And we're trying to show this to our community and invite people. We've been praying for people to come and, to, and, and, and I pray that we do this. I pray you invite somebody, not only that you come, but you bring someone with you through the stations of the cross. And as they go through these stations, they're gonna see the instruments of suffering. They're gonna see the nails and the silver and, and every station of the cross. And we're gonna get a glimpse of the sacrifice, the punishment that Jesus took on himself. But as we do this, I don't want you to miss something very, very important. You see, the, the, the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet, the crown of thorns on his head and the, and the beating that he took, that, that provides a very dim picture of the spiritual sacrifice that God himself made for you and me. Because like Paul said, I want you, and today I want us to begin with understanding the massiveness of our sinful burden. How massive it is that, that holy God became sin for you and for me. You see, we don't fully understand the idea of holiness because, because we've never seen it. We've seen a picture of holiness, and the Scripture gives us some insight of holiness. And there are several places, like Moses, when he said to God, I, I want to see you. And, and God said, Moses, you can't see me because if you see me, it will kill you. You, you could not survive my glory my holiness. And so he hid Moses in a, in a rock and, and God passed by. And the Bible tells us that Moses' face was literally glowing for a, for a long time because he got that close to the glory of God. You know, Isaiah 6 is one of my favorite passages. As Isaiah the prophet, he gets a glimpse of God in all his glory. And the Bible says, Isaiah describes this scene that, that he sees the Lord. He said, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, Isaiah 6. And he says, above him were these seraphs. They were flying around like angels. And, and each of them had six wings. And they were praising the Lord so loudly. They were, they, were, they, were, they were offering such loud praises to the Lord that the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe is me, I cried, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, the Bible gives us some glimpses of holiness. But do you know that you and I won't understand holiness until we draw our last breath and we are absent from the body and we are present with the Lord? And in that moment, I believe for each one of us, that, that especially those that know Christ as our Savior, we're going to go, whoa. Holiness came here. And holiness became sin for you. And so this week... I don't want you to miss the significance in the spiritual picture of holy God becoming sin for you. 
you know, the magnitude of our sin and my sin, it, 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 it's so overwhelming, it's so huge that God himself had to come. John 19, we see it, Pilate in verse 12, look at John 19, because Pilate sees Jesus, we talked about his interaction last week, he tried to release him, and, and the Jews said, no, we want to crucify Jesus, crucify him. And Pilate reluctantly sent Jesus to be crucified, but he was, he was kind of cocky, he was, he was, he was kind of miffed that the Jews were, were putting him in this position. And so, so the Bible talks about, he, right there he says, he del- verse 16 in John 19, he delivered them over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross. And Jesus, the Son of God, the one true God who never sinned, who was perfect, he, he healed people. All he did was bring uh, joy and help to people. And yet they put a beam on him. They beat him ruthlessly. They, they, they sent him off to be crucified. Verse 18, John 19, they were there. They crucified him with two others, one on either side, Jesus between them. So Pilate, you know what he did? He wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And, 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 and you know, the Jews were mad about this. They were like, no, 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 don't say that he was the king. Say that he, he claimed to be king. And Pilate's like, no, what I have written, I have written. And so what's interesting is this, this lost man, this man that was cynical, this man that said, Jesus, well, why won't you talk to me? And we looked at his interaction last week, and, and he said, I- I'm going to write that he is the king of the Jews. So this lost man makes this proclamation that right here is the king. And he was right. But he missed it. You know, like Chad said today, Pilate proclaimed Jesus was the Savior, but do you know what? He wasn't his Savior. And this morning, that's a, and next week, those are questions we're gonna wrestle with. I want him to be your Savior. Verse 20, many of the Jews read this inscription. They were mad about it. They tried to get him to change it. Verse 22, Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. Look at verse 23 in John 19. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, they divided them into four parts, and they began to gamble over his garments. And, and this is a worthy study, and I would encourage you to take some time to go look at this yourself. As you, as you think about everything that happened to Jesus on the cross, it is intentional, and God is making sure that every prophecy is being fulfilled. And this, this, as the soldiers, they gambled for his garments, this is the direct fulfillment of prophecies. And, and I love it in In verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which we believe is John, the writer of this text, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. I love it that here is Jesus on the cross and he's taking care of his mom. We ought to take care of our mom. You know, it's interesting as you process the story unfolding, John only mentions these two criminals that Jesus is in between. And, and, and you know, many people think that, that these were cohorts of Barabbas. And, and, and Barabbas was the one that, that was released so Jesus would be crucified. And, 
And uh, these guys, we don't know a lot about them, except that most people think, most scholars think that they were, they were like, he was, these two guys were likely arrested with Barabbas. And here now, Barabbas is set free, and, and these guys are going to their death, and Jesus is placed between them. Now, Luke, Luke's account gives us a little bit of the dialogue, and I want us to think about what Luke said, Luke, Luke chapter 23, if you have your Bibles, turn over there, Luke 23, 39. Um, uh, one of these criminals, he, he's, sitting next to, he's standing next to Jesus. They're all being crucified. They know they're gonna die. One of the criminals hanging there, verse 39, Luke 23, began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And here's this guy, he is, he is um, angry, he's bitter, and, he, and he's like, hey, look, if you're God, why don't you do something? Verse 40, but the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, verse 41, we, we, are, being, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. This guy was able to see Jesus and who he was. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, hey, today, Luke 23, 43, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, it's interesting. You have two criminals, and they are so angry, and one is, is blinded by his own sin, and, and he's blinded by his own rebellion, and he's, he's just content to say, I'm, I'm going to, Jesus, if you're God, do something. He's bitter. He's angry. He's not repentant. He's not aware of the magnitude of his own sin. And the other one is like, look, I've messed up. I deserve this. He looks at Jesus and said, would you remember me? And Jesus is telling us something really important, point number two, and I want you to see this. He's saying, he's saying this, making, making this proclamation that your death is only the beginning. And I want you to understand that. That the day that we draw our last breath, Jesus is communicating something so very important. That death is not the end. And it's not. I mean, he tells us, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, and, and it's interesting as you, as, as you think about how important this is for you and I, all of us have known somebody that, that we love that has been a believer that has died. We've all been to funerals this year. People that we love that have, have gone to be with the Lord. Now, did you know that, that our death and, and there's more to life than just living and dying? And see, the Bible's very clear that as, as a believer, we know that we have hope in death. And one of the things that I pray that, that we learn from and that we hear, if you were here several weeks ago when Chad preached, he talked about this, this uh, historic Roman doctor that said, you know, when I look at Christians, they have, they have a fearlessness in the face of death as he described Christians who were going to a martyr's death. You know one of the things I'm, I'm praying for us? That we understand that when we face the reality of death, that we grow to see death in a fearless way. You know, as Christians, we, we understand grief, and we should grieve. 
But we know that, that when we grieve, and, and sometimes our grief is intense, and, and, it's, and it's difficult to grieve. And we face difficulty in the midst of our grief. But I want you to know something. As a believer, we don't grieve like someone without hope. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and 56, and he says this, Where, O death, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's one of my prayers that when, when we have to face death, that we grow a confidence with this reality. That's an inescapable reality for all of us. And you know, we have so many messages coming at us this isn't true. You have Ronald Reagan Jr. on a national television commercial saying, I don't, I am not fearful of burning in hell. He has no idea what he is saying. And you know, here you have two men next to Jesus and, you and we see the scriptures unfolding. We see Jesus saying to one man, look, today you'll be with me in paradise. But we know because of what Jesus taught, the, the other man will not experience that. And folks, we live in a day where preachers don't mention hell. We don't want to mention the... the the fact that if you die without Christ, there is no hope. And this is why we've got to be burdened for the souls of men. But I want you to know, as a believer, we, you and I can face death with confidence. Because Jesus is making this incredible statement that, look, your death is only the beginning I mean, can you imagine that reunion when, 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 they, when that criminal died undeserving of forgiveness? And yet, Jesus welcomed him into paradise. There's so many important lessons about that. You know, a lot of people think, well, I have to do good to go to heaven, or I have to be religious, go through these religious exercises to get to heaven. No, we go to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ, like this man right here. And this is a man that right here in the last moments of his life, the sting of death was taken away. The tragedy is there was one who died that the sting of death was not taken away. And that's why this question that we are posing this morning, we believe with passion and with, with reason that Jesus is the Savior. But the question is, is he your Savior? Is he yours I pray that you can leave today knowing, Jesus, you are my Savior. It's interesting, as the scene unfolds, you see the Gospels described this time, Matthew 27. Matthew says that as Jesus is on the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the whole land. 
you know, the Roman soldiers, they had been through crucifixions. They were, they had been through the, this was a old hat. This was not a new thing. They were good at crucifying people. They were, they had this down. And, and so this was just like another day at work for them. But all of a sudden, as Jesus is on the cross, darkness comes over all the land. And they're going, hmm. Well, this is a little different. What's going on? There's kind of this earthquake going on, and, 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 and this is the scene of the crucifixion. And they're kind of going, hmm. John 19, 28, look at what happens. G- John tells us that Jesus, knowing that it was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture. Another, another study I want to push you to is to go back and look at how each one of these statements fulfilled the scripture. Someday we'll walk through that, but I would challenge you to do that on your own. Jesus said, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, look at what he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. That's a huge statement. What he's saying is nothing else needs to be done. You know, Matthew, um, Matthew 27 Matthew's writing to the Jews and he's trying to convince the Jews that, that Jesus is the Messiah and that was his intention with his, his audience. And, and this week at the Passion Week, you're gonna see this scene and I want you to understand it. Matthew 27, verse 51, as, as Jesus cries out, it is finished and, and he dies. Er, an earthquake happens in, in, in this, this scene of chaos and they're like, what is going on? Inside the temple, Matthew records this. You're going to see it this week. When you go through the veil of the temple, you're going to see that it's torn in two. It's open. Because what happened is is inside the temple where people went, where Jews went to make sacrifices, where they went to atone for their sins, and they would say, look, I have sinned this year, so a blood sacrifice had to be made. Inside that temple that only priests could go into, and we've looked at this at Christmas time, as Zechariah went in there, and, and it was this incredibly sacred place that only, only the, the, the religious leaders, only the, 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 the priest could go in there. The Bible records, Matthew talks about in Matthew 27, 51, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were rent And the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints that had fallen asleep were raised. You talk about, is this where I think they got the zombie movies coming out? But, but, and coming forth out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now look at verse 54, Matthew 27. Now the centurion that were with him watching Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were done, feared exceedingly, saying truly, this was the Son of God. You know what? This was a crazy moment in the history of the world. 
And I want you to see what is going on. As Jesus, as God, as Jesus says, it is finished, it is accomplished. The veil of the temple is torn in two, making this statement that now you and I can go directly to God. No longer do you have to go through somebody else. You can directly go to the Father. And and Jesus, he says, it is finished. Do you know what that means? Point number three, I want you to see this. That Jesus paid it all. Your sin is so massive. He paid it all for you. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a big theological word. It's not in your notes. You can write it down if you can spell it. I can't spell it. I have spell check, so I put it in my notes. (laughs) Propitiation. Propitiation is this idea that to remove us from the wrath of God that we deserved, Christ died in the place, in our place, for our sins. Propitiation means, again, to remove us from the wrath of God that we deserved. Christ died in our place for our sins. That's what Jesus did for you. He paid it all for you. Now, if you you can, back to 1 Peter. Look what Peter said. He, in verse 24, 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree for your rebelliousness, your sin, your mistakes, your failures. Peter writes, look, for me, my failures... He bore my sin in his body on a tree. It goes on, so that we might live, die to sins. That you and I, we, we, we die to sin. That, that means that, that, that we no longer have to be ruled by anger. We no longer have to be ruled by pornography. We no longer have to be ruled by lust or by, or, or, or by discontentment or fear or worry. This is why in the face of certain death, in the face of our own mortality, you and I can have confidence because we have died to sin. And we are moved to, like Peter said, to live for righteousness. That that we live, we're moved to live right. We're moved to say, God, you are Lord of all of my life. You you are the the one who directs me, who leads me. We, We pay attention to his voice. We move when God tells us to move. We respond to conviction. We recognize our our own failures. We, We remember that the cross was for us. So that when someone comes in and they don't look like us or they, or they are broken, that they are welcome here. Because we understand what brokenness means. We understand what it means to be forgiven. We live for righteousness. Like, like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, we, we, we put aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And we run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. And I love what he said, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And on the cross, as Jesus hung naked, 
humiliated in front of the world. He did that for your sin. And so because of what he has done, we live for righteousness. Look at this. And by his wounds, you have been healed. Do you see that? Peter is quoting Isaiah 53, that we, we were pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, you were healed. You've been healed. Peter goes on and he says, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd, to the overseer of your soul. You see, it's not, you're not in control of your soul. And see, these men hanging on the cross next to Jesus, they weren't in control over their soul. There are so many in the world, so many in our lives that really believe, no, we're in control, you're, you, and we're not. You're not. Without a doubt, Jesus is the Savior. Is he yours? Is he your savior? I just, without apology, I beg you, come to Jesus. See him. Don't be like that thief that, that is stuck in his own, blinded by his own sin, blinded by his own anger, his own rebellion. Be like the other criminal that says, look, I've messed up. Jesus, I need you. Would you remember me? Jesus said, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Stop living your life in an unstable way. Come to Jesus and experience life that is secure, that has hope. That's, I promise you, that's what you're looking for. We're going to have an invitation, and we invite you. If, you, if God is moving in your heart today, you could come and talk to one of our, our men or, or we'll take you outside of this room and help you see what God's word says about your life, how, how Christ can change you and save you. Maybe you need to just come and say, Lord, thank you for dying for me. Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, I, I, I gotta put aside this sin that's, that's tangling me up. I see you. I failed and I need to come and get it right. So Peter did. And I'll tell you, when, he came, when Jesus came to Peter, he put his arms around him. Come to Jesus and experience what forgiveness is like. Oh, I wish you would know forgiveness. How is God speaking to you? 
I'll listen to him and follow him. Would you stand where you are?